1: You're listening to the True Faith Podcast with me, Adam Widgerton, your host. I'm joined tonight by True Faith regulars, Mickey Carling. Hello. Cy Campbell. Good evening. And a very special guest, a writer from The Athletic. It's Chris Woff. Hello, everyone. Pleasure to have you here, Chris. Hi, Chris. <laughs> Pleasure to be here. <laughs> um, so this is the Monday after the Saturday before the grim nil-nil uh, draw with Brighton & Hove Albion. We're gonna get right into what's going on at Newcastle at the minute. We're gonna get some of the views of Chris about Steve Bruce and what he needs to do, maybe, um, moving forward. But again, you know, looking at Saturday, low crowds, terrible performance, it has to be said. I mean, you know, one possible positive is that we didn't lose the game, even if we might have thought that we should have done. Now that the dust's settled, And we've sort of allowed the match to sink in. You know, the hysteria sort of just died down a little bit. We want to try and look at it, you know, with a bit more of a a balanced view, hopefully. But Chris, I'll come to you first. Just how much danger are Steve Bruce and Newcastle United in at this moment?
2: I think they're in a heck of a lot of danger. I thought at the start of the season, 14th, 15th was probably likely. With every passing week, I'm thinking 17th place. A lot of Newcastle fans will probably take that now. Saturday was alarming in the sense that you had a team who Newcastle for the last three years have sort of been neck and neck with, slightly ahead in the Championship in the Premier League, come back and finished ahead of them. Last season, obviously, Brighton nearly went down and both teams have had dramatic change over the summer. Brighton's was their own decision. They decided, we want to change the way we're playing going forward. Newcastle got themselves into this situation where they've lost Rafa Benitez. They've brought in Steve Bruce albeit belatedly, they brought in players again, albeit belatedly, and suddenly you just don't know what they're trying to do going forward. Brighton, you can argue on Saturday, dominated the game but didn't do that much with it, but you can see what they're trying to do. They're a new style. Newcastle United, I have no idea, after having seen them seven times this season in all competitions, I have no idea the way they're trying to play, it. and that for me is alarming. If there was a plan and I could see exactly... They was spoke maybe in the summer that this is going to be more progressive. They've had the least possession average in the Premier League. They've scored four goals in six games. They're barely creating chances. And defensively, they've looked suspect in some games. So I, I generally do not know what Newcastle are trying to achieve.
1: And I, and I think this is one of the biggest problems. It's this, even now, there's confusion about what is even supposed to be happening. I mean, at least... You know, a lot has been talked about, you know, this awful start that Rafa Benitez had last season. And I I said on the podcast last week that it's been used as a shield for Steve Bruce. It's almost like he's been given, he is going to be given a free pass until this, you know, this 10 game, um, you know, run is kind of over, but it's, you know, at least with Rafa Benitez, when we did lose games, what you did know is that he was going to learn from them. We were going to, he was going to get something out of it. Even if it was just an awful result, it would tell him something about the squad. It would tell him something about how he was approaching his tactics, and he would stop at nothing to try and rectify that. Now, Mickey, you um, you went to the game and you, you you were you were absolutely apoplectic afterwards. You, you, you stormed off. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> talk, talk us through your experiences of, uh, of Saturday. Well, it was
3: just as as bleak as it's possible to be, really, wasn't it? Um, it was my first game so far this season. I missed the other two league home games because i was away and i I keep saying on the podcast but you know any other year in my whole life there's no chance in hell i would miss the first two home games no chance at all and this year i just didn't care and i've come out of the the game at the weekend wishing wishing that i'd cancel my tickets you know it was that bad there's there's so many things which we'll go into in more detail you know in this pod um that were that were wrong with saturday terrible crowd so incredibly low. Lower than it's been announced by far. I think I would be surprised if it was more than 40 there. 40,000 that is, obviously. Um, atmosphere was a disgrace after about 15 minutes, you know, and it reflects what was going on on the pitch. But still, you know, the people that are still going to the match have got a, a duty, I would say, to try and create a bit of positivity, especially when the team are massively struggling. And it was t- the total opposite. Everyone was on the players' backs from about the 15 minutes on, onwards. Every time anything went, like, even slightly wrong, with slight misplaced past, you'd hear... Fuck's sake, man! And people kicking off in like a co- that collective groan that Newcastle fans are are, are really fucking bad for. Um, and it comes, it, it comes to a head in games like that when we're really struggling, and I, and I hate it. And then the performance—I mean, where where do you even start with that? Like, Jesus <laughs> Christ! Saying to on the way here, I think it's the worst I've seen. And I, that's saying something. And we, you know, as you said, i the, the one single positive we can take out this weekend is that we're still got a point. But performance-wise, it was a disgrace.
1: And I think what you're echoing there, you know, this the, this this feeling, of negativity, the you know th- that collective. We all know that collective groan. We've all done that collective groan, um, probably even from the press box, Chris. Uh, oh yes, very <laughs> <good. laughs> <laughs> much. Um, but it just it, it just at the minute, uh, it's so apparent to me that there is just, and it wasn't like this under Rafa Benitez because you had this. You have this hope. I know it's been spoken about. It's been written about so many times, but there was just, there was just something. At the minute, there is just there's an emptiness. There's an emptiness, and it's sort of an intangible feeling, but it's it's it definitely exists, and it's it's infiltrating the, the club. It's a poison, and it's it's going to take something special. It is a special kind of um, antidote to try and reverse that feeling. Yeah, I just wanted to
3: say. I feel like Newcastle is the only club in world football that would justify having a terrible start of the season by saying we started shite last year as well, yeah, and just be like it'll be all right because last year was even worse. That's not how it fucking works. Like we're the only club that I know of that uh, has had a genuine aim to finish lower than they did the previous season. That's not we're not talking about this year. Obviously, we're trying for that this year, but previously, I can't remember which season it was. Maybe last year, we're, the club's official aim was to finish twelfth. Behind, yeah, behind the behind scenes, obviously didn't announce it, the but, but they wanted yeah. to finish twelfth and finished tenth the season before. Like, is there anyone else in the world that's run a football club that will think we'll finish two places lower than we did last season and no, it'll be all right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't disagree with it. And you know, this was supposed to be a season where we kicked on. Now, now, Si, you're one of these. You're one of the people. One of these people. You're one of the people <laughs> who have None decided taken. that you, 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 you know, you. you don't want to go to the game um and you want to stay away from the stadium sort of how how was your experience of saturday
3: did so go I did go to the match on saturday like yeah so <laughs> i am
4: I'm, I'm one of at least 10,000 people on last season who've obviously stopped turning up regularly um i was offered at least four tickets to this game such as the plight so i totally agree the published attendance of 43,000 is way way higher than what i think was at the ground there there were some huge empty sections of the stadium i mean i i i'm, I'm I can see why there's, there's people with season tickets who aren't the last about going. There's people with season tickets who are probably off to the cinema or off to the Metro center. Cause it's, it's more appealing than going to the, going to watch Steve Bruce. Um, the Metro Center shite as I well. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Uh, oh yeah. It doesn't even have Metroland anymore. Does it, uh, that's seriously how long I've been since I've been there. Um, yes unfortunately I, I well, s- for you you've got every Saturday free now for until the end of the season so. <laughs> but Ben Wade was uh, was away he's he's visiting his brother in Canada so his his seat was going and I thought I'll I'll see what all the fuss is about with this Steve Bruce and on his back room of Steve's um, and just you know a, what you, my, just a back room staff <laughs> of <on> clones <just laughs> like. my my views on Steve Bruce haven't been you know a secret my expectations of the season have been a secret I thought we're in trouble from the day Benitez walked away um, it didn't really matter that it was Steve Bruce out of the 20 other bang average NAF managers who weren't going to be able to get the same level out of. I was more surprised by how obvious that was after, is it well, that was, was that our sixth league game of the season? How obvious the uh, the difference was in performance in, in terms of just what we're getting out of the same group of players generally. I know there's some new players to add in there, but yes. Um I agree with everything you've said, Mickey. I thought the stadium was really an unenjoyable place to be, even from a fan's point of view. I thought the crowd was very different. I think of the thousands of people who no longer go, you've lost the positive ones. You've lost the ones who want to sing and get behind the team because they've given up. The people who are left are the ones that kind of don't really sing. They're just kind of happy to sit there and and they'll, they'll they'll make it known if they're annoyed and they're not really that asked either way. They're just there to be entertained. And if they don't get entertained, they'll get... They'll, they'll vocalize that, and that's what happened at halftime. There's some significant boon, which I've not seen for a while. Yeah. And to be honest, that doesn't help. I appreciate that that doesn't help, and the fans aren't doing everything to help this manager like they did the previous manager. However, I was just appalled at the, at the performance more than anything. And you know what, Chris, what you just said at the start of the show there? The fact that you don't know what's happening after seven games as someone who will have far more insight into what's being said behind the scenes than we will... Is terrifying. If you're not sure what the hell the game plan is out of seven games, then I'm really really concerned.
2: Well, well, uh, sorry, I was just going to say in terms of when you mentioned before about Benitez and that it gets talked about the 10 games of last season. The difference with Benitez is Benitez had a plan and he he believed in it and stuck rigidly to do it. Bruce played 3-5-2 two, first two games of the season, abandons that then already after Saturday's game, he's talking about the fact that, oh, I probably don't have the players to play expansive football. I need to change again. And you're thinking, so we're, we're six games, seven games in all competitions, six games in the Premier League season and you've already discarded two plans. You've decided <laughs> at this point yeah. that this group of players, and that, that for me is alarming. And it was, it's, it's, it, Uh, In the summer, I thought that anger would get Newcastle through this season, but it's turned to apathy quicker than I thought, and that, for me, is concerning. At least least with anger, it feels like it's fueling towards something. With apathy, it just feels like drift, and it's already turned to gallows humour. So after the game, we're standing in the mix zone to speak to players, which basically is just the dugout, and uh, there's some pissed fan who was up in one of the the, uh, executive boxes. And Bruce is oh, doing at least some, a bit of entertainment. Well, like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and Bruce is doing uh, Sky Sports is, is uh, his interview, and this guy just starts singing "Steve Bruce's Black and White Army," and then he just goes silent for about five seconds. Just goes, and they're fucking shite. <laughs> 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 and You just got a red Knapp's a wanker, and all you just thinking already, it's reached that. it was six games at the season, and already we've reached that stage. Yeah. And it's just, it's just, it, it, it is like that. It's, it's mind blowing. And, and you
1: know, <laughs> one of the points I made um, on the full time whistle video, check it out on the True Faith YouTube channel if you haven't already um, is you know Steve Bruce told us to judge him on results we are now you know we're six games in our next four look in- incredibly tricky you've got we've obviously away to Leicester we are at home to Man United we're away to Chelsea and then we're home to Wolves side who granted have been terrible so far but you'd you'd like to think that maybe in a a month's time they would have sorted themselves out. Yeah, they're they're much, much better than us, Adam. They're much, much better than us. Yes, they've got an excellent squad and they've got a game plan and they know what they're doing. But, you know, that sort of takes us up to the the 10 games, Chris. You know, like looking at, for me, the massive worry was if we can't can't beat, like a draw's not enough. Like even, it doesn't even matter how poor we played. A draw in that game wasn't good enough. We're not going to pull out spurs performances like out you know against top six sides that's just not going to happen it's an anomaly we, we need to almost just put that aside and focus on you know th- looking at the three winnable games Norwich um who granted were very very good and they've proved that against Man City as well but on paper before the start of the season you think Norwich away could get something Watford at home which is a winless Watford when they came to us and and Brighton and Hove Albion you know from you know what is that? What 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 is the what is the professionals you know view of, of Steve Bruce? What what is he saying to, to the media to make you to, to sort of convince you that that he is the might the right man for this job? Like where does he think the points are going to come from if he can't be Brighton?
2: The one thing I'd say in mitigation is that it, it was a difficult start. I don't think it was quite as difficult as last season, but it is a difficult start of the season. As you see, you look at it and you think, particularly with the next three, before any of the games have been played, you look at the next three that Newcastle have got and you'd have thought, after nine games, if they've got seven or eight points, they'll have done well. They're six games in, they've got five points, got them in not the way you would expect them to, three points at Spurs. And for me, in terms of when you speak to Bruce, I almost feel like sometimes he, he tries to... To say what he thinks people want to hear. He sometimes ties himself up in knots. Like there was a quote in midweek, albeit it, it was in the Chronicle ad. He, he seems to have said it where he said it was Newcastle are going in this game, it's a cup final. Then on Friday, he comes in the press conference and he says, I, People are talking about this as a cup final. I don't know where that's come from. It's like, oh, apparently you've said it, Steve. Apparently, yeah. You, and so it just it's the fact that he's following a guy who, who, It's it's all about the detail, and with Bruce, you you don't quite get that in terms of he came in, and and sometimes I think he does it for sure, so before the Watford game... Uh, their record signing uh, sorrow or whatever he's called was it scored in midweek in, in the league cup and he was asked about that and, and, and Bruce comes out and goes oh yeah well I haven't seen much of him other than that and I'm sitting there and thinking well Steve he's been playing in France you you have all the equipment and all of the intelligence of to have been able to see him before so either you are just seeing it because you think people want to hear it or that is worrying that he isn't actually going and watch they're not watching these players in depth Benitez would never have left that and then on Saturday during the game itself I think it was the 14th minute. Isaac Hayden runs across to the touchline and he says, uh, this isn't working. And then repeats, this isn't working. Fabian Cher comes across and I'm not sure if he was exactly saying, I don't know where I'm playing, I don't know where Macchio's playing. One of the two of them didn't know where they were meant to be playing, which is alarming as well. And it sounds basically the game plan was Newcastle were meant to press high and then they didn't press high and so we're just getting picked off and played through and then they changed to forward and back then they changed back to three at the back at the start of the second half and it just seemed to me a lot of we don't really know how we're going to approach this yes Brighton had a strange formation but Brighton play like that all the time they do this split centre-backs thing it's the same as Sheffield United it wasn't a surprise that they did that but Newcastle seemed surprised by it and that for me was alarming
1: and, 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 and just to compound this you know you, you look at like you say there's a lot of remonstrations between the players this was happening against arsenal on the, on the opening game of the season you know um questioning each other you know shrugging at each other pointing and saying you know you should have been there that was your man all that kind of stuff why why 5 games later are we are we still why are we still seeing this why is this why is this still a problem why has steve bruce not been able to find a right fit for a squad that i mean hasn't hasn't hugely changed maybe a, a couple of personnel differences in terms of like you know Joel Linton definitely isn't Rondon they're very very different players but the core of ours of, of, if you look at the defence and you look at the midfield you know give or take Longstaff's injury it's it's, 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 large, it's largely the same group of players so w- why is there now it's just so much confusion?
2: It is largely the players. I think there's two real issues when you United at the moment. I think one of them is Matt Ritchie being out. I think as much as as much as you can say that sometimes he's limited, his crosses aren't there, I just think he's the, the heart and soul of that team. Ritchie, if he was on the pitch on Saturday, there would have been urgency because he would have made there be urgency. And the other players, you're just looking around and thinking, they're almost looking at someone else to tell them what to do. Ritchie would take hold of that. The other point is, Rondon, and I know... It's more about the fact that he's a focal point of a team. First 10 games of last season, Rondon barely played, or when he did, he wasn't fit. As soon as Rondon got fit and firing, as soon as Newcastle got him in the team, they had someone to play off, they had a game plan. Whereas, you say, Joe Linton's a different player. I like a lot of what I've seen about Joe Linton, but A, I don't think he's a natural goal scorer, and B, I don't think he's a central striker, and he's not getting enough support. I don't. That, Newcastle's recruitment in the summer baffled me in that sense and that they let experience go and they've made the same mistake as they did three four years ago whereby they've bought players who I do think have something about them I think Saint-Maximin could be good I think Joe Linton could be very good but they haven't got that experience core to help them along and to get them through this first part of the season and they're gonna to have to wait till January to get it unless they can get Andy Carroll fit
4: we spent all of last season waxing lyrical not just about Rondon himself as a, you know, a goal scorer and a, and a kind of target man, about his ability to bring other players into the game. We don't have anyone doing that now. Even Perez was good at that. Even Perez was good at being that link man about finding a pass, about being a one-two. There's no one-twos happening. There's no string of passes happening because there is no kind of connection. There's no one holding on to the ball. Um... I think there's probably a language barrier i'm not I'm not being funny but Benitez would have been able to communicate or found someone to help him communicate with all these players I'm not convinced that Steve in his back room of Steve's can speak any of the languages <laughs> um i don't I don't see Joelen uh,
2: speaks quite good English in fairness he does he does speak quite good English. granted
4: but i I think it, it makes it more difficult for him to you know he's been given a bunch of players who by his own admission he didn't know anything about also concerning because I, I I'm going to keep talking about Benitez because why shouldn't we um he would have done his research he would what worries me again about what you said is that he seems to suggest that he didn't really know what to do with this team and he, th- he didn't think he can play expansive football. Should have known that on day one. Regardless of whether some of these players were signed quite late in the window, he should have known enough about them to know who what their strengths are and what kind of team to be able to build. I just don't think he has that tactical nous to really understand the best place for all these players. I agree. I think there's some really good individuals in there. I think St. Max Mann looks exciting. He's come off the bench on Saturday and was probably the only bright spark and really looks like he can cause trouble and create stuff out of nothing. And when you've got a team with no tactics, you need all the players that can create something out of nothing on the pitch. Carroll's another. He, he can, you can, know, Because of his kind of dickishness of being a centre-forward that no one wants to play against, he'll create stuff, he'll he'll cause problems. We're going to rely too heavily on that. There's no game plan to score goals and out outperform teams. It's just... We're going to be throwing players on and just hoping for luck, which is what it, all I can see is happening. It's just throwing eleven players on the pitch and just hoping for the best. It's not really a way. Ten years ago, there was enough other managers doing the same thing in the Premier League that Steve Bruce probably was amongst them and, and could hold his own. Now we're surrounded by tactical, young, like you know, modern football managers who don't leave anything to chance. They will have done their research on us. They will know who's can do what and they'll have just they've just shut us down every team so far this season has shut us down and we've got no response that's the biggest concern for me
2: yeah I mean I, I, I don't I, I don't fully subscribe to the idea that, that Bruce is, is a complete tactical dinosaur because I generally don't think he would last in the game this long if, if he was do I think he's as modern and um, innovative and as up to date as a lot of the managers out there no I don't think he is and I think that part of the issue is that it's gone from one extreme to the other that Newcastle have gone from the, as I said before, the guy who it's about, he's anal about everything everything is, is detail and Bruce has come in and it's a bit more, I don't want to say a lazy affair because that makes it seem like it isn't doing it but it's a bit more relaxed, it's not as much finger on the pulse of everything it's a, it gives the, the, the players a bit more responsibility. Benitez almost built a squad, I think the squad is constructed in the way that Benitez wanted them to be with his detail and that they needed that direction and it, I think Almirón's a prime example, I think you give Almiron direction you tell him exactly what you want from him He's got a purpose and he's got, whereas at the moment, I just think he's running around, confidence is clearly an issue for him, but you think he's running around, doesn't know exactly what the manager wants from him, doesn't know exactly what his position is. And these players almost need that direction.
4: Yeah. So my understanding is, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that you had the lads in on su- Sunday for extra training.
2: Yes, that was sort of pre-planned, but was sort of, yeah, we're definitely going to bring get, them in get, now. Pull the
4: lads in for, for more training, more shuttles probably. Whereas Benitez would have been sitting down with each individual after each game and, and pointing out to them all the mistakes they made and what they need to work on, I don't think Bruce knows what went what went wrong. So he just thinks, well, I'll get them in. We'll, we'll do a bit more training. We'll get we'll get fitter. He seems to think that just throwing training at it's going to work. I, 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 correct me if I'm wrong again. I might be underplaying his intelligence a little bit, but I don't feel like I am. I, I, <laughs> I don't. So what what what's in why why. How is an extra training session on Sunday going to help? Do you, do, was there any insight into that from your...
2: Well, I mean, the only the only counter I'd have to it is that the the time he did bring them in for extra training after the Norwich game, they went and won at Spurs. Now, <laughs> uh, the, the one thing I thought about that Spurs result was that I thought there was, this, there was some unfairness on social media where it was like, oh, he's just reverted to Rafa Benitez's tactics. And yes, he did revert to a system that was used the year before. And I know Craig Hope, when he was on here the other week, said about it was sort of like muscle memory. And I see what he's saying. But at the same time, to go from the way they were one week to the way they were the following week, A, it took the players to have to put in a lot of application, and B, it took the coaches and the management to, to change things around. Now, do I expect Newcastle to be able to do that between Brighton and Leicester and go to Leicester and win? No, I'm not convinced. I wasn't convinced they were going to win Spurs. I thought they are putting a better performance, but Spurs, looking at it now, Newcastle got Spurs at a very good time. They're probably not going yeah. to get Leicester at a very good time, although I think it is a game that will probably suit them more in the fact that counter-attacking looks to be the only way that, that they can really af- affect teams at the at the moment. Actually, I don't think the counter-attack's working that well other than the Spurs game and the first 10 minutes at Anfield. I don't think there's the same uh, direction, the same precision as there was last season. And part of that, I think, is because they are lacking that sort of focal point up front.
1: That was it. You know, the, you, know you, you talk about the only time the counter-attack has actually worked was at Spurs when we literally had one shot on target and scored from it. It was a really good move and it was a brilliant goal and it kind of showed what, you know, what Atsu has, has been doing this season. One of the few positives are, you know, absolutely ripped into him for the last couple of seasons. I don't think he produces enough. Um, and Joe Linton's finish I thought was excellent. But I, I think this is, I, I'll come to you, Mickey, on on, on the attack. You know, Luke Edwards has come out today and said that it has, it has emerged, right? That that Atsu and Almiron were, ju- were essentially supposed to be playing as a, as part of a th- front three with Joe Linton. Now, The first, the first thing there that sort of like, you know, is a big warning sign for me is like, why does anyone even need to be, why does that even have to emerge that it surely if it was supposed to be, if it was obvious in in a, in a well run side, we would just see it straight away. We'd say, all right, okay, we're we're set up with three, three up top and we're really going to go for them. But that didn't happen in the first half because we just didn't we didn't have any possession we didn't have control of the game so therefore we didn't actually probably see what our attacking shape was uh, at all. I mean, maybe I'll just come to me. how how do you how do you think we're going to kind of resolve this issue where our our attackers are just are so isolated? We've seen it in so many games this season. Even like you say, even even in that Spurs game, I don't, you know, something came together once. You know how. How does Steve Bruce get the chemistry going between our attackers? What's the solution? Well, there needs
3: to be there needs to be some significant changes in the way we're, we're setting up. So, what's what's happened this season in the summer? We've signed a striker from Germany that's reasonably tall, and have thought he can do what Rondon did, but actually, in reality, that's not how football works and how football players work. Jolinton is not capable of performing that Rondon role, and the whole of that system—the three three at the back with the two wide players two in midfield, and then two out of their wide players, only works if the centre-forward can hold the ball. It, it only works if that can happen, or, or and can win the ball in the air. Now, Joe Linton can't really do either. So, it's never, ever going to work, that system. It's not going to work. He cannot play up front on his own. Because of that, and, you know, you have to kind of think that maybe Almiron, Atu, and Maximum have noticed that the ball's not sticking there, so they can't then play 10 yards further forward where they should be, because they should be within reach of Joe Linton, but if if he's never winning the ball and never keeping it for them, there's absolutely no point in them being there because they're not going to get it anyway. So naturally, the instinct is to protect your position defensively. So they're already almost on the back foot to, even when we're starting an attack, they're almost on the back foot and thinking, the next phase of play is going to be an attack and it could be down my side. And if I'm up there and Jalinton doesn't win the ball, I'm out of position and that kind of side of the pitch is completely open. So I I think part of it is to do with that. So firstly, Joe Linton can't play up front on his own. He, he cannot do it anymore. He has to be supported by either number 10 or go back and play two up front. That's the that's one thing that needs to happen. The attitude of Atsu and Almiran has to change. So they have to be more positive. They have to have more positive thinking. They have to assume that something correct is going to happen. So they have to, they have to advance 10 yards. It's critical because at the moment they're nowhere near Jolinton. So on the odd occasion, you know, he's not he's not bloody useless. He's had quite a good start. He's just not that. He's, he's just not, not He's not that player. He's not really capable of doing it. But the times when he has brought the ball down, because the kind of instinct in them has been to drop back this season, they're nowhere near him. So he's, he's having to take two or three touches, hold the ball to let other people come up the pitch. And by that point, the other teams are back in position. They're back in shape. They've got extra men around the ball. So that there's no chance of, of building on it. The third thing that needs to happen, is more creative play from the centre-half. So we used to see it last season near enough every single time we got the ball at the back. We had Lejeune while he was fit and Scherr, playing those diagonal passes into the advancing full-backs. For that to happen, the inside forwards have to move inside to create space and then the pass needs to go with one pass. At the moment, it's not happening. When Scherr's getting the ball, he's got Shelby sitting in his pocket trying to take the ball off him, which does not work. I said it from the first game, the chair came into the team last season at Watford at home. I said, that's not going to work with Shelby because he can do that job and Shelby doesn't need to be there. And it's still happening. Shelby drops too deep. He takes the ball. It sucks the impetus out of the attack. It lets them see where the space is and react to it, the opposition. So that pass has basically been cut out of our game and that was the the most effective way we had
4: of attacking. So there's quite a lot to go out there. Yeah. I was going to say, you've, you've, <laughs> you've, <that's> you've great. <laughs> you, you, Apart from that, everything's great. <laughs> you started coming in with them, because I've got an alternate view as to why Atsu and Almiron find themselves so deep and I think it's Jonjo Shelby and I think it's he's the much bigger problem we have here. Um, they, it's not that they're not um, getting the ball up. I think you've been a little bit harsh on Joe Linton. I think he's held it up quite well. I think he's battled for the ball think he's, he's, done, he's done reasonably well. I agree that the players aren't there to support him but I think it's because they're so sick of Jonjo Shelby picking the ball up at the edge of his own box and then taking fucking ages to play it, where they're either offside, or the, the pass is off, that they stop making the runs. Honestly, I think John Joe Shelby's role in that team, is the biggest problem we have at the minute, because there's nowhere for him. It doesn't work at three at the back, I totally agree. Uh, if there's two at the back, and you need someone to come and collect the ball, and then there's other players ahead of him, that can then receive a pass, fine. But when there's three at the back, and then two fullbacks who are nigh on fullbacks, you know, that we've got five players behind Shelby, and he's coming to collect the ball, in his own box. Yeah. It's, 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 it's no good. Especially, when he does play the ball forward, and then it takes him another ten seconds to get into their half, it's 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 that's our biggest problem. And there's a reason why Rafa Binet didn't build a team around John Joe Shelby. Or didn't build this it, team anyway. It's, 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 you know, yeah, it's, it's
2: far I think I think John Joe Shelby relies on someone like Dwight gale because the problem with Norwich, this was a, when when Shelby was in that game. Even when he did get the ball, and he looks up, there aren't people making the runs that he could pick out anywhere. Now I know you can argue. Well, a lot of the time he gives the ball away, but. When he did, when he's got someone like Dwight Gale who's run the shoulder, the 2017-18 season, the championship season, Shelby was perfect. For that when Gale's not in the team, Shelby is looking up, and it, it may as well he may as well not be on the pitch because there, there isn't the person for him to find that ball. So yeah. I do agree, I do agree. I think. But it's the a, thing is,
4: we, we've talked about the fact that we, we looks like counter attack seems to be what we want to do. That's not counter attacking football. John Joe Shelby picking up the ball and pinging it, that's long ball, that, that's, that's route yeah. one football, that's not counter, counterattacking football, is players who receive the ball and make a really quick pass, it's Ki-Sung Young, <laughs> he, he should be playing, he can pick the ball up, make a really quick pass, another really quick pass, and then you're in, that's counterattacking football, you move the ball quickly, you don't John Joe Shelby it, come and get it, take a really big touch, have a look over your shoulder, Oh, he's offside, ping it, 70 yards, that's not counterattacking football, that's long ball, Terrible shit house football. Don't be too harsh on Shelby because he is—he is a good footballer, but he has
3: no place. He has no place in the team when your defence is good on the ball because he's his instinct is to come and get it. Yeah. What it does when, especially when you've only got two in midfield, is you're, you're a man short in midfield and you're five seconds slower because it takes time for him to come. Then he receives the ball, then he turns, and then he's looking to make that pass. It's too slow. Doesn't work in the Premier League, and it's in, you know you are writing what you're saying about about Dwight Gale and how useful it is for Shelby to have that man run off the shoulder. But it doesn't work in the Premier League either because, it's too, well, because you've, that those seconds are critical. That there's a difference between Championship and Premier League football. It's the speed and, and the pace of the game.
1: And the other thing, is in the Championship, um, Shelby was able to find just to drop balls in behind a defence but mm-hmm. in between the goalkeeper. But when you look, at, you look at the Premier League, you've got, you know, if, if Premier League defences are a bit more savvy they will drop deep if they, if they need to. You've got a lot of sweeper keepers who are, are, are a lot more adept at sort of come out of the box and just like clearing out the danger. Matt Ryan did that a couple of times uh, on, on Saturday. Um, I think there was a sort of a really good ball through. And then it was like, we're through with it. And then, oh, the, the keepers come out. You almost, you almost forget he's allowed to do that. But like, you know, we, we, we can't do that. Now, Chris, I'll come to you about the midfield actually, because it's, it's a really good talking point. You know, we lost we lost the army. Um, Longstaff got injured over the summer. And, you know... Shelby kind of out of the wilderness slightly you know wh- what is your viewpoint of our midfield and wh- wh- what's the problem there and what you know should we should we have replaced diami I th- well, I, th- I think
2: Giama should have been given the two years as he wanted because I think that losing, particularly once they knew that we weren't going to keep Rondon, I think they needed that experience. Regardless, you forget the midfield yeah. in general, just experience in the team. And Newcastle now lack that. Yeah. They've lost, they lost Rondon, who's a 29 year old. They lost a 31 year old. They lost Perez, who had five, six years experience in England as well. They haven't replaced those uh, for the majority of the experience. But then, in terms of what they have got, <laughs> Longstaff wasn't I don't think 100% ready to start the season anyway but he's had this other injury maybe actually that gives him a couple of weeks to get fully prepared and mentally ready I think he was also a little bit unsettled over the summer about all of the Manchester United stuff and the fact that suddenly he'd gone from in January he's a player nobody out of Newcastle had heard of and now suddenly in the summer he's a 50 million pound footballer so I think that that was an issue and I think that he hasn't been at his 100% best and then the way that they try to set up the midfield I agree. I don't think that I don't think that Shelby works when you've got three defenders. And I also think that Hayden, although he's never said this and he probably wouldn't express himself, I don't think Hayden likes playing alongside Shelby in the two yeah. because I think that he ends up having to do more work than if he's... He, last season, we saw an element, we saw side to Hayden, which we hadn't seen before in the second half of last season, whereby he was able to get forward a bit more. He isn't given the licence to do that when Shelby's in the team because he ends up having to cover... Not two men, but he has to cover more ground. And it was at Norwich where I, I I was watching what Shelby was doing. And that was there was three in midfield for that game and he was just pointing at Key and Hayden and saying, You go for that man, you go for that man. And, you, and I'm thinking, well, you're not actually going for either of those two. But you're you're they're shifting between two men and you're just sort of standing in the middle. And I I just I don't think the dynamic works in the way, particularly if there's three centre backs, if you're playing with four at the back. I can see the logic of Shelby, but at the moment, I just don't think Newcastle have that balance and I don't think they're getting the best out of their most informed midfielder, which is Isaac Hayden.
1: Absolutely. I, I do agree he's one of our best players. And I mean, we're going to talk about the lack of goals in a minute, but I, I wonder if the, if the fact that our midfield isn't ticking as it was last season in terms of how we begin moves and start moves, do you think the fact that our midfield is maybe unbalanced, unsettled, Roles are a bit confused. Could that be a reason that we're not we're not creating the chances enough further further ahead of the field? It's not just about the it's not just about the three that are that are sort of attacking the, the Joe Linton and, and, and you know the two inside forwards. You know we, we need to begin things from the center of the park once we're in, in possession. Do you think that's had an impact?
2: I do think it's had an impact. I think another thing that's had an impact, and hopefully if he's fit in the next few weeks, I think Florian Lejeune being out of the team has a big makes a big difference. I'm a massive Paul Dummett fan. I think he brings a lot to the team. But in terms of having Cher on one side and having Lejeune on the other, Lejeune gives particularly that cross-field pass that he does where he switches play quickly and that switches the point of attack and confuses defences. At the moment, Newcastle don't have that element. They're a bit predictable, particularly when they come down that side. So the other side does get overloaded when Cher gets the ball or Shelby's coming deep when he's playing. And so I think that there's that sort of double element where the midfield balance isn't right and you only have the one ball playing centre-back
3: as opposed to the two that you had last season. It's a really good point, Miggy. I just wanted to, to point out, you know, we, we talked a lot about our midfield last season and, you know, Newcastle United come into January, Key goes to the Asian, Asian Cup and we're desperately struggling for players, you know, we've, we've got injuries and we get a massive get out of jail free card but with Longstaff coming out of absolutely nowhere and playing really well for the rest of the season. So, you would have to argue last season, we didn't have enough centre midfielders to cover the whole season, go into this season I'm going we'll let Giomi go for free and don't replace him. Like it, it's madness that some of the decisions at, at the top level at the club are mental. Giomi just wanted two years. You can sell him after one. If you only want to keep him for one year, let him go on a free transfer at the end of the first season. Like it's absolutely nuts. I, I just can't get my head around how that decision has been allowed and how someone in the club hasn't said to him, said to Charlie, I presume who's who's making these decisions. Do you not remember what happened in January when we didn't have any midfielders? Do you don't remember that? Only six months ago.
1: Absolutely, and you know, you, you look at, you know, you look at like what the state of our attack at the minute. And obviously, last season we were the fifth lowest goal scorers in the, in the division. Um, we only really we stayed up because of because of Rafa Benitez in the system, and you know, team bigger than the sum of its parts, et cetera, et cetera. But let's focus on this season. And let's focus on you know, Steve Bruce took this job, thinking, knowing backing himself, that he was going to be able to push the club on and that we were going to somehow improve upon upon the, our, our attacking. Sorry, you're you, you, you going beat with laughing. <laughs> you, think, yeah. you,
4: you think Steve Bruce took this job because he thought he'd be able to kick on from last season or do you think he took this job because it was the absolute best job he was ever going to get again in his career? Well, obviously, yeah.
2: I, I, I think was, I, I, I do... The one thing I would say as well is, and I know I know that people have, have taken the piss, and I say he managed Sunday and he's at Man United, but I also do think, and yes, I agree that it's the best job he was going to get, and I wouldn't have appointed him, but uh, there is also that connection that it is his was his boyhood club. Now, I, I, I don't think that should be underplayed as well in terms of, I know he turned it down 10-15 years ago, but this for him was was that that big chance as well, and I think that anyone else would have taken it as well. Yeah,
4: I, I don't I don't disagree with any of that. I t- if I was Steve Bruce, I would take the job. Like, why was he never yeah. going? to... He's no way he's not going to take the Newcastle job when offered. He's he's obviously not the right man for the apart job. From the, apart country. from the last
3: time when he didn't take the Newcastle job when it was offered,
4: so, but supposedly. Yeah, yes. but no, he
2: didn't. And yeah. his his argument for that, and I wasn't covering the club at the time, so I don't know. His argument was that it was it was. That there was supposedly a second time he was offered it, he, he hasn't said that. The first time was when Sir Bobby Robson w- was going to be fired, he was approached uh, behind the scenes, he thought about taking it, but he, for two reasons he said it didn't feel right because Sir Bobby Robson was going to be fired. If Bobby Robson had agreed to go upstairs, I think he would have turned it. The second reason was that he just brought in loads of players at Birmingham, and uh, it, the season had just started, and he felt it would be wrong to leave them. Now that's his explanation. I'm yeah. not saying that's a get no, that just, that's sense. His explanation. And, and
4: I I don't doubt that as a you know a man from Newcastle, he thought he really wanted to make a good go of this, and I'm sure he's trying his best. I, I don't think he's you know being lazy or or deliberately trying to be to be bad at his job. I'm sure he's putting everything he can into this. Um, I think what's becoming evident is why Benitez just was not going to work in these conditions anymore. Steve Bruce has been handed players that just don't fit the roles that they were supposed to fit. He's, he's, he's kind of, he's walked into that. He's willingly taken that job. And again, I'm not saying he shouldn't have or that I wouldn't have in his position, but this is why he would struggle to get any other manager who has, you know, at, of, of a higher level because they're not going to accept it. Oh, hang on. You're really short in midfield. Oh, no, it's fine. You know, you've got... It, it, you see what I mean? It, it, it doesn't really work um, as, as a club for anyone who wants to express themselves as a manager. It's it, I, I can totally understand. We're seeing why Benitez didn't want these players, why Benitez didn't want Jolene because he's identified. Whilst I'm sure he's got all these attributes, we don't need a seven goals a season striker. We need either Rondon or someone of that calibre. We don't need, um, you know a left wing back. We we do, but we don't need one that we don't know anything about. We don't need a right back from Sweden that we don't know anything about. We need these players that I've identified and done loads of research on. Steve Bruce, like, I, I, I don't, I've never heard any of these players. I don't think he has. <laughs> Truthfully, you know, I just, if he's willing to work in those conditions, he has to accept the criticism that comes with it. And I'm not saying he shouldn't have taken the job, but we are exactly where the vast majority of us is expected to be at this point because of it.
1: Absolutely. And um, I was just going to say, um you know the, the, the statistics i mean forget about the top 6 teams that we played because obviously we've played an excellent liverpool team even if they weren't at top gear for that for that game at anfield we played against um played against arsenal again <laughs> weren't a great arsenal side but it's still an arsenal side with a lot of quality um and we played a spurs side and and got away with it but like we looking at the games as i said before the winnable games against norwich uh, Watford, Brighton, North Albion. You know, the, the brutal statistics are that we we concede an average of one point three goals against those teams in those three games. So we basically kick off knowing that we've already conceded. We've scored an, we've scored an average of like point six goals a game against. So already that maths is very. If, if you strip it down to sort of basic maths, like it just doesn't. It just doesn't add up at all. We are going to lose games playing like this and we've had two very good opportunities to win at home and we just haven't been able to do it. I've calculated that against these teams which are going to tell us more about our team than than any game against Spurs or Liverpool or Arsenal ever will that we need to have 20 shots to score one goal. Now there's a lot of very, very good teams out there in the Premier League who don't necessarily get get 20 shots in in one game. You know, it's not uncommon but you know we we are we aren't we're just not doing enough and you know the fact that we're creating 1.3 big chances per game again against the against these sides that we really really should be looking to try and roll over and, and take the game to them and be assertive and try and impose ourselves on this on this division and we're just not doing it and you know I don't understand I don't understand what, where we go and I and I think is Steve Bruce, you know, how, how long do you think Steve Bruce can, can continue this particular form, keep up with these p- specific statistics? How long can he keep this going for? Is it going to be another McLaren where, because this is a Charlie appointment, he'll probably get too much time? Can you see that happening, Chris?
2: Uh, unless Newcastle will massively cut adrift in the next couple of months, I th- I'd find it. Surprise! And if if Newcastle United made the decision to get rid of Bruce, they've in, invested a lot of, uh, well, they invested money. Although they cocked up getting him from Sheffield Wednesday, they did invest money in getting him from Sheffield Wednesday. Again, <laughs> again, again that, right? they couldn't do that correctly. Yeah. Um, and the the statements that have come out from the club themselves about that the, this man, that basically what Ashley said in uh, in his interview with the Daily Mail, where he basically said, "Look, w- with Benitez, it was divisive for a few years. We now have a man who wants to be here." And so because they've invested so much of uh, of, of goodwill within them, I think they will give him time. There may come a point if Newcastle were to be cut adrift at the moment. You can see the positive is they're not in the bottom three, which is about as positive as things can get at the moment, unfortunately. And, and
1: if I could just look at one other positive, and I'm really reaching here, lads. Obviously, the last 15 minutes of the game on, on Saturday, there was a you could feel a sea change. You really you, you, you could, but but that, 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 the, the crowd noise, the enthusiasm of... I, th- I thought Alan Sam-Maximan was, was our man of the match there. Cher had a very good game as well, I thought. But I thought Alan Sam-Maximan, the impact that he had, he he really... It was the epitome of trying to grab a game by the scruff of the neck and make things happen. And it's something that we just... There was no energy in that first half. People were wandering around. We weren't, we weren't pressing. We weren't getting in people's faces. We, we looked like a lot of us... I'll say us, the players, didn't, didn't care and didn't know what they were doing. Alan Sam Maxman came on, you obviously had the lift from Andy Carroll, but it shouldn't take the narrative of a local boy returning home after like nine years to, to have this lift in the crowd, have a lift in play and look like we actually might come close to scoring. Like we, we've, we've used that up, the Andy Carroll debut, has gone like the, that, that bounce has gone you know, well it,
2: the best moment of the first half was when he warmed up that was the loudest that the crowd which it really was the, the first half that was the most excitement there was when he went to warm up, and the leases ended up but apart from that nothing happened on the, and then that, he wasn't even on the pitch at that stage I agree and that that's the, the, when we're talking about the fallen crowds and when we're talking about fans not coming and it, it, it wasn't necessarily the first game of the season where it's this massive boycott. It's been a general a general seeping away and I think probably, there'll probably be a bounce for Man United because there'll be more away fans and you'll probably have a lot of tourist sort of fans. But I, it, it, currently, I think the trend will keep going because... If you, if you were to watch Saturday if you decided not to go on Saturday and you watched that game at home you'd think I have made entirely the correct decision because yeah. there's, nothing get, there's nothing to get excited about it, it's, it just felt it, it, as, in terms of as an advert for Premier League football as well as much of the ball as Brighton had I mean they just didn't want to shoot it. first half the amount of times Montoya broke it in the box and if he'd actually shot Brighton could have been two or three to look, but they kept on trying to almost walk the ball
1: at the net. Absolutely. They were queuing up at the yeah. end of that sort of six-yard box, and yeah. there was a couple of sort of last-ditch tackles that sort of helped. But, I mean, this comes back to Mickey's point in terms of, you know, if, if Carroll is, I, I, I don't know if, if Carroll is fit enough to start. Obviously, got, you know, there's, it's one thing coming on for like the last 10 minutes. But can he lead a line for, say, an hour, 70 minutes? I'm not, I'm not sure he's probably going to be there yet, and we're probably going to have to treat him with kid gloves for a bit. And Bruce will probably know that. Like to think he will because if what we if we try and push him in out of desperation, then we kind of know that he's you know Andy Carroll he's 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 he's, he's a walk you know, he's walking uh, walking um, medical building. So like say
4: the problem Carroll's got is that if he was to here to score five goals and just have a little impact on the season, great it, it, you know. But the pressures on him now, mm-hmm. he needs to turn the fucking yeah. season round. We need him to score like 10, 15 goals to, yeah. for, for you know. It, it's not really fair on him. The, the amount of football he's played in the last 3 years like played about 30 games in 3 seasons and scored like four goals and we want him to score double that and you know and be fit and everything else um i think it's also unfair this is the problem we have with these new signings it's really unfair that the position they find themselves in joe linton who's never scored double figures in a, in a in a domestic season is suddenly expected to to play for newcastle united as number 9 and the fans expectation is oh, well, we've got this 40 million pound brazilian player He's not really that though, is he? He's he's, he's, a, he's a young lad with bags of potential, but we need instant results. We need instant results for Carroll. We need instant results from the rest of the lads who've come in, and it's not really fair to expect that from them. But again, that's where we come back to: we've lost players with massive experience, and we've placed them with zero experience, and this is that, that's the problem we've had So maybe. It's a little bit unfair to judge Steve Bruce entirely on that because, and he signed up to it, so the buck mm-hmm. stops with him. But he has been given a squad of players with no Premier League, ex- Premier League experience and said, you know, just see what you can do with that, Steve. And I can, I don't think I could do a better job. There are obviously much better managers out there who could, but I can see why no one else wants to sign up for it. And I can almost, Everyone can see this coming, including probably Steve Bruce, but there's nothing anyone can do about it. That's what's, that's what's terrifying. The
2: mistake Steve Bruce made was when he came at the end of the transfer window and he said this has been a remarkable window, because yeah. it hadn't been it a remarkable had, no. window. I think part of the issue and where I feel for Bruce, but I can't feel for Bruce because, as you say, he signed up for it and then he's come out and said that is... A lot of the the players at Newcastle signed. The a lot of the groundwork had already been done before he came in, and so this is this Steve Bruce's squad. I don't think this is Steve Bruce's yeah. squad. I mean, the majority of it, Rafa Benitez's squad, or even before that. But then the five players who came in, in the summer. Do I think he wanted them? Probably a couple of them. But in terms of Joe Linton, the groundwork was done miles before. Charlie's come out and said that. And now what baffles me about the 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 Joe Linton deal, in terms of. The interview that Mike Ashley gave, which I agree with Craig Hope, anyone would have taken that interview. And, and you have to say, you have to say well that they actually got Mike Ashley to sit down and do an interview. But when he talks about the Joe Linton deal, and he said, Oh, and I was willing to put in £20 million of my own money. So you you said that you didn't, that the manager before, you didn't agree with a lot of what he did, but you're going to give him £20 You You waxed, waxed and lyrical about this manager. You haven't given him the £20 million, as far as we're aware, to have signed Joe Linton. That's come from the club money. Why that hasn't happened, I have no idea. If you think this guy is the best thing since sliced bread, give him that money and then he can have another 20 million pounds to spend elsewhere. And just this fixation that they had to do the Joe Linton deal for Joe Linton, for them to make a substantial amount of money on Joe Linton, he's going to have to score 15 to 20 goals this season. For 40 million to turn to 80 million, he's going to have to really, really impress. I just find I just find the whole thing baffling in terms of the pressure that's on him. And then agree about Carroll. If you had a, another center for if you had Rondon, if you had Carroll and you had Joe Linton, so you can play Joe Linton anywhere across the front three, you'd think, right, we've got Carroll as a, as a B option, you know, and give him three months to just get fit. Then when he does come back, he really can make an impact. Instead, he's coming into a team who aren't scoring goals. He's going to have to probably play more sooner than than anyone would have wanted him to. And there's an expectation on someone who, as you said, he didn't score a goal last season. He scored two Premier League goals the season before. He's barely play. He's barely started 15 games for for a good few years. It's just baffling.
4: Yeah, I mean, we we don't have that luxury. That's the thing. We've got a lot of players who probably with a bit of work will be good footballers, yeah. but we don't have the luxury of that time that it's going to take. Especially without Benitez, basically man managing every one of them the way he would have done. I, mean, I just I just don't expect that's happening with the, with the current setup of Steve's. Um, The gaggle of Steve's. The the other thing about... What what is the collective noun for a group of Steve's? (laughs) Answers on a postcard. If you could comment, uh, just tweet us. uh. (laughs) No, I'm I'm sure we've already had it. Wasn't it a kebab of Steve's? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that was on a previous podcast. A a kebab of Steve's. Um, Listen... (laughs) We, we were talking about it in the car on the way here, Mickey. you um, with the Joe Linton, I, I don't want to get at the lad. I think he's played quite well and I think he's doing about as much as he can given the circumstances of a 22-year-old hoiding at the Premier League and expecting so much of him. No other Premier League cl- clubs wanted him. No one else was really sniffing. It didn't seem, unless you can tell me otherwise, Chris. There's a, there's like a lot of clubs interest. around
2: Europe have looked at him but I think a lot of them looked at that price tag and said no. And I mean, Benitez... Didn't want him for 40 million. I think he thought he was worth about 20 million. He's someone, again, like a project player, someone who you can bring in yeah. and really work on. If you've got someone like Rondon who you can develop, you can play alongside Rondon because he yeah. played most of the time left for Hoffenheim. But he didn't play as that central striker. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think any other Premier League club looked at him and think he's ready to be our central cent, or main centre forward with... The backup of yeah. Andy Carroll, who isn't going to be fit for two months anyway. Yeah, I ab- th-
4: absolutely looks talented, and he absolutely yeah. looks like a player who will improve. Maybe not to uh, the kind of levels that Mike Ashley was hoping in terms of doubling his value, but it feels like eggs in one basket, and it just it's just really silly in that in so, that sense. It's naive,
3: isn't it? and you, if you look back over the last ten years in, in the Premier League, and count on one hand the number of players that have come from Europe and, and really smashed it in their first season, and it, it's been like the very very top players that have done it. We don't have that with Joe Linton. It's unfair to expect him to. Players need a season to yeah. learn about English football. And considering he's also playing in a different position, basically playing in their half on his own, for Newcastle, Like, what what chances he got? I feel bad for him. And I was going to yeah. say before, I sort of feel bad. Part of me feels bad for Steve Bruce for this kind of situation that he's, that he's sort of found himself in. Steady. But then, then you remember that he changed formation twice at the weekend. Like, <laughs> changing formation once and trying to impact the game. Makes sense, and it's what a proactive manager do would do. Change it twice because you get it wrong again, and then putting Willem's into centre mid, who's a left back.
2: What well, are you revert like, to the same? to start the second half, you started with the same formation you started with, and then you change it again. It's, it's
1: despite knowing that the the, the Brighton because he'd asked, he asked were them to getting move in forward. behind us every single time.
2: Yeah, I think he'd ask them to move forward as he wanted them initially, but it still was the same formation. He just was trying to implement what, but it didn't work. It Still yeah. works. So. I mean, to,
1: to go back to Mickey's point from earlier in the pod you know, you talked about like sort of Joe Linton not playing, you know, maybe playing slightly out of position, is obviously when Carroll came on against Brighton, he pointed behind him, to, he, point, he said, he said that Joe Linton pointed your so it was almost like Carroll up top, Joe Linton in the sort of number 10 role, I guess, and then you've got the you know the, the, the pace of sort of Sam Aksum, Armatsu, Almiron, sometimes Muto, I guess, will be playing in those inside, and y- you think... You no, know, that a forward four of that, you'd think that could that could be reasonable. You know, you think of the physical prowess of of Carroll and Joe Linton. They will, will, they will bother defenders. But I mean, you you know, you look at you look at Brighton. I thought Lewis Dunk just had Joe Linton's back pocket all, and I and I, I, I thought Lewis Dunk was just he just won everything in the end. And Lewis Dunk is, I think, is well, he's he's good at what he does, isn't he, Lewis, Lewis Dunk? And um, but it, Joe Linton just wasn't get wasn't even getting a sort of any joy there. So. Yeah,
4: totally. Um, and I think Joel Linton then ended up doing what um, what Benitez used to bollock Mitrovic for doing, which is he starts coming looking for the ball in his own half. And if you're leading a line of, of of a strike force of one, you need to stay in their half. As isolated as you feel, you've got to stay and be a target man. If you if you start coming into, into our half to try and get the ball, which he does because he gets probably bored and probably sick of just trying to win the headers against Lewis Dunk... He starts looking for the ball in his own half, but then he's got nowhere to go from there. If he picks a ball up in Aronov, he's either got to run forward 30 yards of the ball or try and find a pass to Perez or... Uh, not Perez. <laughs> Almiron or um, Atsu, who were quite often behind him anyway. So it just it just made, made us even more deep than we already had found ourselves for most of that game. And it's, it's, it's really difficult for him. But I, I, again... He's, he's got to either, if he's going to play that target man role, he's got to stay up front. And he, he wasn't really doing that for parts of the game because he was so far away from the rest of the team. What we were saying earlier about the players dropping deeper, all, all because of Shelby, in my opinion, he ends up dropping deeper and then the whole team's in our own half. And How the hell are you meant to score goals in the Premier League if you're always starting from a position where everyone's in your own half? Even counterattacks from that position are impossible. It's really difficult.
3: You have to think about how many how many donkey miles Rondon ran last year in their half on his own, just doing the graft. Yeah. And no, no Premier League, well, no footballer at all really wants to play up front on their own and nobody wants to do that donkey work. But you had Rafa last season drilling into Rondon from, well, you imagine from the moment he came to Newcastle, You're the number nine. You're up front. You're doing that, don't you? And I didn't want to see you in our half. And you you basically didn't. There was the odd game away from home. Sometimes you would see him dropping right back in when we were really under the cosh. But other than that, Rondon was always up the pitch. And that's because you've got the manager telling him that's your job. That's what you've got to do. Like the whole game, it's not happening with Joe Linton. And he, he probably doesn't have the instinct to be that striker anyway. So... Because it's not his natural position. Yeah. Well, it's not. It, it's not. And it's unfair to criticise him for, for not doing it because it's a hard job and it's some it's something that he's not realistically going to do unless he's drilled into him. Now, has Steve Bruce got the capacity to think to think that and, and implement it? I don't
2: know. I'm, just in terms of the Rondon point, I remember speaking to him in the middle of last season and he was saying about how when he was younger, it took him time to understand what he was meant to be doing. And the same with Julian, And I agree. He's got so much about him that I really like. And I do think there's a very good player in there. But the... the I, I'm privileged that I get to senior Castle home and away. And last season, towards the end of last season, there was a couple of games where I just watched what Rondon did and I remember Leicester away in particular. And it's almost what he did. He sometimes didn't even watch the ball when it came forward. He'd watch the defender and then he'd do something to put the defender off or he'd make sure that he was bringing someone into play in that. And it's just having that know-how, that knowledge of this is what I can do, particularly in the Premier League because he'd been with West Brom for three years so he'd had that time to adapt. And Joe Linton has just been thrown in and expected that a he's got the forty million pound price tag, B, he's got the number nine shirt, and then C, he's got you are the you are the main striker, you've got to lead the line in the Premier League, you've got very little support up top. And I, I do feel for him he's twenty three years old and it's gonna take him it's gonna take him time. And it, it's almost I feel the first few games of this season unless Newcastle start playing better, this could almost be to a detrimental effect to him because this is his introduction to it rather than he gets gradually introduced and gets yeah. that confidence. The longer it goes, you've seen it with Almiron, the longer he's gone without scoring and now he does not have that defined position, you can see the confidence just visibly seeping out of him every game.
3: It's so it's so obvious why Rafa wanted to keep Rondon and bring in a striker to work with him. It's so obvious because you start the season with a tried and tested, someone that knows what they're doing, someone that can teach the younger player how to perform that role and instead, we're now thinking that the only solution to like the attacking problems that Newcastle have is relying on Andy Carroll to play in the number nine role for the whole of the rest of the season. He hasn't played that many games in six years collectively, <laughs> and then played Joe Linton off him and changed the formation around to do it. it. Just doesn't work.
2: Only time Andy Carroll's ever scored double figures in the Premier League was twenty ten eleven as well when he sold Liverpool.
1: <laughs> so to, I mean, talking about sort of um, big transfers in the summer, Chris, uh, you obviously. Changed allegiance from uh, the Chronicle um, over to um, the phenomenon that is uh, the Athletic. How are you finding it, Chris? It's been it's been really exciting. I've I've
2: really enjoyed. It. I mean, I wasn't looking, I wasn't actively looking to leave uh, the Chronicle, but then I I got a phone call from uh, George Calkin, who is now my colleague uh, in June. Actually, sorry, I got a text first, start of June, saying, "Oh, Chris, if you if you got a couple of minutes, can you can you." Can you speak to us in private? I initially thought, bloody hell, what's wrong? <laughs> so, <laughs> that, so then I called George and, and he sort of explained this concept and I didn't really understand what he was talking about. So then I went and met her for a coffee. I went down to London the day after and met uh, met the managing editor, Ed Mallion, who was previously sports editor of The Independent and basically The Athletic is a, is a... Athletic.com, athletic.co.uk. It's a website that was launched in the US three years ago, three and a half years ago, um, covering various different US sports, in a different sort of way, so it's a subscription-based model, I suppose similar in some ways to to True Faith, in, in some sort of ways. Uh, subscription, subscription-based subscription model, and basically um, they have launched in the in England this summer, covering the Premier League, some of the bigger championship clubs, a couple of the Scottish clubs, a bit of European football, and so there's at least one uh, reporter covering each of the, the Premier League clubs. I'm covering Newcastle United home and away. George Colgan is also sort of North slash does whatever George Colgan wants to do, sort of writing. Sounds like George. Yes, exactly. So has a bit of freedom to do what he wants. Um, and it's about sort of, it's it's almost to complement what's already out there. It's different. It's about a lot of it's long, in-depth reads. It, it's, a, it's a different take on things. It, it's having time to be able to do things. So whereas at the, the Chronicle with a different sort of model, I was maybe writing... Uh, several pieces a day certainly a lot a week now I'm expecting maybe two to four pieces a week and um, it's not so much like match reports or um, press conference pieces like we've had a big piece up this morning which is sort of like the making of Andy Carroll so I've gone back and spoken to a lot of his coaches scouts uh, ex-teammates current teammates and done like a big long read on that and um, George Culkin uh, did a when uh, for, for example, that George was doing Sunderland and Borough went out and spoke to Lee Katamal, who's just moved across uh, to the Netherlands, and pieces like that, and just 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 a sort of different take, and just just having uh hopefully, complementing what's already out there with a bit more in depth analysis.
1: Absolutely, you know, I, you know, I could I could tell that you know one of your first pieces was that was covering the the boycott, uh, the Arsenal game, and how you you know you spend half half the half the game uh, in the stadium uh, with with the fans, and then. Know explain you know what the what the rest of the what the piece was like what he did
2: yeah so obviously w- with the boycott before the start of the season there was there was a lot of talk on social media and just just speaking to people there were some people who really backed the idea there was others saying no I go to the game because this is what I always want to do and that this is the the real almost existential crisis that 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 sort of Newcastle fans and fans of other clubs have had where what do you do in terms of if the owner isn't what you want if the direction of the club isn't what you want, how do you protest? Do you give up doing what you wanted to do all your life, which is go to a game on a Saturday? So um in the absolute piss and rain, as I'm sure you'll remember, I went and joined <laughs> the the march from Sports Direct up to on Northumberland Street up to the outside the ground. Um, and then I sat in, in the Gallagher end and spoke to a few of the fans who were in the ground asking them why they were there, did, had they thought about boycotting, uh, watched the first half from the Gallagher, second half went to the Tyneside Irish Centre and also uh, Spot White and, and spent the half chatting to those who had actively boycotted, why they'd done it, why they felt the need, what they hoped to achieve. And just, it was, yeah, so it's just a sort of different take on looking at things, just a different way of approaching it, trying to hopefully get, the views of more of the supporters and more people out there, and just just we also have this interaction on there where we do sort of Q and A's during the week and also after the game, but also actively encourage. We we chat to, to, to sort of in the comment section at the bottom. And when I was at the Chronicle, I would never look at the cro- uh, comment <laughs> section because I knew it would just be oh this is shit, and most probably because most of what I'd written was. But but um, but now uh, yeah. because we we have people who are sort of engaged and they want to read it and they, they don't always agree with what writing. And I've had a lot of good debates on there, but people who are more sort of. They're, I think it feels closer on both sides and it sort of you feel you can rub off on each other a little more so yeah I've enjoyed different approach. You're still
1: trying to sort of adapt to the different I guess the different sort of style of writing and that that kind of output is is it has it come like really naturally to you do you think
2: it's come naturally to a degree in terms of that's what i've always sort of wanted to do i've always been i've always enjoyed that style of writing but it is it i, I don't think i've quite got my head around yet i think it's going to be 6 12 months before fully understand and some of it we're trying different things and just different approach and some of it won't work some of it will work and also now i'm, I'm working from home so i'm adapting to that and i'm just trying to not just waste my time and actually do stuff as it is. <laughs> it's difficult rather than being in office Have you, have you so, heard of a yeah. game
4: called football manager <laughs> it takes up none of your time i promise
2: so yeah it's be it's it's it's, it's been completely different. And as I say, I wasn't actively looking to leave the Chronicle. It's a, it's a it was a great place to work. I loved it. I had a great opportunity there covering the team home and away. And, but I'm enjoying that element that, that I am still covering Newcastle home and away as well. And I feel like now I can actually watch the game in terms of, because I would have a lot of stuff to do either on the whistle or immediately afterwards and tweeting out so much during the game. I don't feel like I watched that. A prime example, Newcastle away at Nottingham Forest in the championship where there was the two red cars. Oh, it was various <laughs> Pelly incidents. We had no replays in the in the press area. And I remember thinking, bloody hell, I've got to write stuff on this. And people at home are more informed than I am as to what the bloody hell is going on. Whereas now I don't have that sort of a media scene. It's a, I can actually sit and I can properly watch the game and do stuff. And so I feel myself that I am getting more from that as well in terms of actually knowing what is going on on a Saturday.
1: Chris, Wolf, well, thank you very much. And um, thank you very much uh, to um, Simon Mickey as well. If you... If you like what you heard if you like what we do we do have um a patron as well where we produce you know, four to six extra podcasts a week um lots of cool shows on there for around seven dollars uh, a month because it's american side so yeah um but we think it's worth it we're really passionate about what we do the good news is the exchange rate is brilliant at the minute because <laughs> of brexit <laughs> yeah silver linings uh, silver linings Uh, so we'd love you to see you there but if not please check out our website uh, true-faith.co.uk we've got a YouTube channel and loads of cool stuff follow us on social media and we'll see you next time for the True Faith podcast thanks very much
0: tax day is coming oh no